Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Leadership, a podcast for leaders everywhere doing their best to learn and lead in a rapidly changing world with your host, Helen Woodward. We're here to share leadership learning from everyday work and research, helping leaders and teams be their best. So wherever you are when you listen, I hope you find something to make you smile, a new insight and a question to think about. Welcome to Let's Talk Leadership. My guest today is Jenny Swift. Uh, Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So, Jenny, you're an international teacher and school leader, and you've worked in the Netherlands and Jordan and Nepal, and you're now a coach working with school leaders in the UK and internationally, helping them manage the complexity of their roles whilst taking care of their well-being. Yeah, that's right. So, first of all, Jenny, tell tell us about your early career. Yeah, so I started teaching in a small community school in the UK. Um, and I was really lucky because it was a really supportive community and I was able to be the teacher that I wanted to be. I had autonomy over my classroom and, you know, within constraints, obviously, but it was a really lovely place to begin my teaching career. And consequently, I spent 10 years there before I moved into international teaching. You know, I had a lot of friends who were struggling to to know what they wanted to do and you know, as soon as I started being a teacher, I just knew that that is what I wanted to do. And I really enjoyed it. There, there were challenges, of course. But yeah, I just, you know, it was great thinking about the student experience, planning how I could be creative in, in making that the best it could be for the children. And I, I just really enjoyed that aspect of it. I was very fortunate as well that the school I worked in was not as performative as others. They were not as concerned about SATS results as some schools. So it was a really great place to start my teaching career. Okay. Okay. So one of the things about being a teacher is that you're a leader your first day in the classroom. Yeah. You know, you're leading learning. You're often leading other adults who are supporting children and the learning in the classroom. Yeah. You're leading relationships with parents. And often you're doing that with little or at worst no leadership development. How was that for you in the first few years? I I still remember my first day and it was terrifying. Um, that, that jump from, um, you know, being on teaching practice for me at that time to the classroom, I was just really, really scary. And the, the responsibility was quite overwhelming at times, I think. And I remember my first day, like it's imprinted <laughs> in my mind. And, you know, what I remember, I remember that um, I, I'm sure there were some lovely things that happened that day, you know, the beginning of building relationships. Um, we will have done class rules together, all those kind of things. But I remember that I didn't have anywhere to put the lunch boxes and I forgot to put the chairs up at the end of the day. And these kind of things loomed in my head, um, which made me kind of think, now I can look back on that and think, yeah, well, sometimes our thoughts are not very helpful to us. That's what I remember about that first day, even though there were, you know, nice things as well. It felt like a, a huge jump. And I was really, really nervous before that first day. And I think that will have lasted for, you know, a while after that. All those firsts, the first assembly, the first playground duty, and just getting to grip with all the systems and things and and learning about the school culture and the nuanced way of doing things, the things that not, you know, maybe people don't think to tell you that this is how we do things here, that kind of tacit knowledge that you kind of just ah, I didn't know about that, or, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. You don't know what you don't know. So, yeah, it was a steep learning curve and a, and a scary one. 
that enjoyable as well. Mm, but you raise a really interesting point about the things that people just think, you know, the way we do things here, that people just assume you kind of magically know when you take a new role, Yeah, which can be a massive pressure, actually. Yeah, so, and and there is a, a lot of it. And, you know, even if, you, you know, talking about induction processes, even if you think through, you know, everything there is, that there's still stuff, I think, that you can't, you won't kind of remember to to tell people and and you know our memories are, can be quite short can't we can't you know so sorry our memories can be quite uh short so when we forget what it was like to start somewhere we forget all that learning and we forget all the things that we had to take on board even a year in you know if you've been in a school a year and then you're tasked with helping someone settle in you can't you don't really remember in that same way exactly what it was like and you know what that person needs or everything you know you need to tell them and and some of it is the cultural stuff the stuff you kind of maybe can't put a name on as well or you know or just kind of explicitly have as a as a point on an agenda or as a point in your induction plan that takes time to to work out Mm. so it's a massive exercise in empathy isn't it that whole part about induction and supporting new staff when when we're leaders and you've, you've reminded me just when you were talking, it just flipped me back to years ago, um, because when I worked in a, there was a local authority where I was head of early years. This is going back quite a few years. Um, and when I went to a meeting with the director or the deputy director, it was absolutely on me to bring the agenda and to kind of raise on the agenda what were the current issues, what was happening, mm. what my recommendations were about particular aspects of policy implementation or impact or what was going on. And then I moved to the university and the my my boss director, you know, put in a meeting with me and I said, oh, that's that's great. You know, I'll put an agenda together. She was really cross and said, hold on a minute, I'll be putting the agenda together. Uh, and it was, whoa, you know, mm. and I had to go and say, all right, you know, we've had a, a miscommunication here because in my last role, it was absolutely my responsibility to put the agenda together. But if you want to put the agenda together, that's completely fine with me. Sorry, we've had a misunderstanding. It was really difficult, you know, Yeah. really awkward. Took a bit of getting over for both of us, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it that kind of reminds me of, you know, just assuming positive intent. If someone does do something that's kind of maybe not, you know, the way that your school does things, to kind of remember that more than likely there was positive intent in what they were doing. It's a misunderstanding and to be curious about, what went on there or um yeah yeah nice phrase though assume positive intent yeah you know unless you've got evidence to the contrary let's assume positive intent yeah really nice yeah I think that's important and makes a difference I think so let's let's talk about when we first met because we first met at the British School in Kathmandu we did and you were in a leadership role by then and I have I have really fond memories of working with the team out there in Kathmandu by the way I mean lots of laughs and lots of learning as well but tell me, what is what is it like the first time when you get on a plane to be an international school teacher or leader? Because you probably have been interviewed in the UK or your home country. Mm. Um, and then you get on a plane and you're going to have to set up a new home. Uh, you're in a new job. You've got new colleagues, very probably a different curriculum to the one that you were trained in. What's that like? Yeah, intense. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> But it's really like, especially the first time, there's a lot of excitement, right? a real, you know, a sense that this is an adventure. Um, and, and so that kind of, I don't know, for me, that was at, at the forefront. Yes, there was worries and there was 
concerns. I, I, my first international posting was Jordan and I'd not been there. Um, a bit of naivety, I think, because I'd been in one school in the UK for 10 years. So maybe, again, that idea of kind of didn't fully know <laughs> what I was getting into. But for that first one, the excitement, I, I remember, was kind of the main emotion. There, there were some worries about you know, accommodation. We, we were just in that place. We were uh, in Jordan in that first position. We were given the um, accommodation. So I didn't have to worry about finding it. And in some ways that's good, but in some ways it's like, will I like the accommodation I've been given? Will I like the area? Um, but I don't think I fully understood all the logistics and what that would be like for the health insurance and the, and the phone and the internet and all the, the visas and the blood test and the, <laughs> all that went with it. So that was probably good. There was a bit of naivety there. I think almost the second move to, to Nepal was, you would think that maybe was easier, but in some ways it was more challenging because I think I was less naive then. And I understood how different schools could be. So I, I think I realized moving from the UK to the, to the school in Jordan, I, it was really different, which did me so much good in so many ways, but it was also really challenging. And I think moving to Nepal, I knew that it that it could be so different again. And then I think also because I was stepping up into a, a kind of a bigger step up into leadership position, then there was more concerns about the, you know, the culture of the school, what it would be like, how I would fit in, how I would build relationships with the children, the community, all this kind of the stuff we were talking about earlier, that tacit knowledge that you don't necessarily know, how will I pick up on it, you know, what will it be like? alongside again thinking that maybe understanding there will be a lot now to set up in terms of finding the house all that sort of life logistics that comes with it so that was almost a, a bit more of a scary move the second one um again lots of excitement as well there was lots of excitement about I'd been to Nepal I'd visited so I knew you know that it was a country I really had loved when I'd visited it so there was a lot of excitement as well but yeah a bit more nerve-wracking. Mm, and certainly, certainly in those days, and we're going, I'm kind of going back seven years or so, seven or eight years to when I was first there. And they, yeah, I mean, at the time, you know, the electricity would go off randomly for long periods of time. Yeah. Because um, I remember coming out and bringing hard copies of everything and like, you know, just thinking, not sure I can rely on, you know, electricity. And in the winter, I mean, it was cold, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And there wasn't heating often, was there? And things like that. So Yeah, so there was there was electricity. We had inverters in the house and that electricity uh actually got worse before it got better. It was better by the time we left. Um yeah, it was cold in winter, um, and it was cold in the classrooms and it could be cold in the school. Um mm. yeah. But there was I mean, there was lots of amazing things as well in that all the teaching assistants were qualified teachers so there were some you know and I didn't know that when I you know when I took on the job so there were some great surprises about some fantastic things as well so so what was it like that was that was your first leadership role was it it was no I'd done a little bit of leadership I kind of really resisted leadership when I was in the UK and then I took on a leadership position that really resonated with me it was about the the foundation subjects and the topic curriculum so I took on that in Jordan because that was something like a real passionate you know passion of mine designing the curriculum um but this was more overseeing key stage two 
Um, but what I kind of came to realize afterwards was that there was no head of primary. So this lead in key stage two was a bit more than I thought it was going to be, which was added to the nerves probably and move into this position. Okay. Now that's interesting because that can happen, can't it? You know, you take on a job thinking you know what it is. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, actually, it's something much bigger, much bigger. And, you know, I've certainly experienced that when I took on head of early years in Bolton. And just at the time when, like six months later, we had the kind of national early years development plans. And the job suddenly went from being like, you know, 50 grand and you've got a bit of admin to wow, a team of 25 and a budget of 5 million and massive targets, you know. So it can be, it, you know, whereas it's exciting, you can also find yourself in like, whoa, this just was not what I was expecting. So how did you manage that kind of realisation and shift? Because it's a big mindset. Yeah, I think, you know, the school sent me the job descriptions and they sent me the information and there was just some part of it that wasn't sinking in. And I think it was, I think it was just the title and being so attached, you know, I'd not long been out of the UK and head of Key Stage 2 and what it meant there and not really getting rid of some of those old assumptions. So, and I think what helped, um were two things and, and one of them was essentially I was a co-head of primary I mean it was called head of key stage and then it turned to deputy head but there was no head of primary and so I worked really closely with the head of key stage one in early years and having the two of us there and we were both new so having the two of us and we became like we worked really well together and the next head of key stage one in early years I also worked really well with her it's an it's an actually really lovely model I think and having that support and that someone to make sense of it together, that was invaluable. And then the second thing was, you know, having meetings with the head of school every week and talking through and being able to clarify what his expectations were, what the school expectations, the school values, you know, what that role was and make sense of that with him and also with essentially the co-head, the other deputy head, that, that really helped and helped me make sense of it. Nice. So you're describing quite an interesting support model there because you've got a colleague that you're working alongside with very closely. So you've got someone that you can have peer-to-peer support, coaching, bounce ideas off with. But then you're describing a really regular cadence of one-to-one meetings. Yeah, they were invaluable, both of those things. And that's interesting to me because that's something which I don't, regular one-to-one meetings isn't something I hear about a great deal in schools. No, I think they can be such time pressured places that it's easy to kind of, you know, you know, and sometimes that what those one to one meetings would things would happen and they wouldn't happen. But that would be, you know, generally they did happen every week and there may be an odd week we miss. But at the beginning, of course, they were invaluable. So they didn't get knocked off at the beginning of those first few weeks. And I think it is important to make the space and time because the, the value that people get from that you know the value that I got that was much more than that hour spent or the the half hour having an extra chat with my colleague about you know well how should we do this together you know that that was really really valuable mm, that's that's so interesting it's like I say it's something that I I don't hear a lot about I hear about half-termly meetings and I think wow you know that half-termly is scant and I love your phrase there about actually it, it's like the kind of what happened in the one-to-one meeting it was kind of magnified and multiplied and rippled out. You know, there was much more value than just that short time. Sounds like it was quite expansive for you. Yeah, definitely. Because then, it, you know, it, it really helped me align with the, the culture of the school, really get to grips with that a lot quicker than I would have done normally. It then allowed me to 
lead staff meetings with more confidence, make decisions on, you know, whatever needed to be made in terms of timetables or curriculum or just just with a, more confidence. And and if I didn't, I knew I could go to someone and talk it through. And it wouldn't be just here's the answer. It would be like, well, what are your thoughts on that within the framework of our school as well? That support network also helped me feel valued. It was a really important part of then feeling, you know, settled, being able to contribute and being able to support other people who were who were new or settling in or mm. so you're, you're describing it's not just that you had the meetings you're actually describing really good quality meetings where you were listened to it actually helps you develop a sense of belonging you got to understand the values you were kind of asked questions as well so you're you know you felt that your input was valued in those meetings absolutely I had a real strong sense of belonging in Kathmandu and it happened quite quickly and, and I think those meetings and, you know, and, and the way those larger group meetings were as well, leadership meetings and, you know, the way that the wider staff were welcoming as well. Mm. Um, they all contributed to that. But but those meetings were a part of it. Mm. And quite a big accelerator by the sounds of things with regard to your ab- ability to carry out your job really well. Yeah. Yeah. And through the finding a house and <laughs> Figuring out where you get stuff from mm. the supermarket and figuring out what you do when you've got no electricity and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. What did you learn about yourself during those years, Jenny? Do you know what? What I think I learned initially from my first move into international school was that I was not as reflective as I thought I was and possibly not as good a teacher as I thought I was. Um, and that was quite difficult that first move I think difficult but very worthwhile as well and I think I'd been in that school for such a long time and I did consider myself to be reflective but I reflected within my own framework of my own belief system and my own understanding so I would reflect on a lesson and think oh I didn't do that well or you know I could do this better but it was within that bubble of what I felt was good teaching and learning and what I didn't have and what I got prompted to reflect on when I moved to Jordan was different perspectives on what teaching and learning could look like and that felt really uncomfortable at first but was also brilliant for me and I think I realized that I'd been I was quite opinionated about education and I think I kind of learned that perhaps sometimes I was more focused on being right than getting things right and learning that was quite a harsh lesson but also a good one so that was definitely a part of it. You know, after a few more years, I've realised that I was more capable than I thought I was. That I'd probably had some stories about myself in terms of leadership and some stories about leadership itself that weren't necessarily true. And that stopped me stepping out of my comfort zone. And I think I learned that I can step out of my comfort zone and I can do things that are scary. They'll still be scary, but I can learn and develop through that and I became more willing to do that um, and and question those stories I had about myself. Mm. That sounds really helpful and I mean thank you so much for sharing as kind of openly as you have done because that's that's really interesting to hear and really great reflective practice. I think yeah it was a bit of a harsh lesson in a way but sometimes that's good for you. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And often often those are the times when we have to really dig deep, as uncomfortable as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Often in retrospect, we go, 
wow, that was really uncomfortable, but my goodness, I learned. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Jenny, when it, certainly when I came out to Kathmandu and work with the leadership team there, I mean, I have, I have memories of a leadership team who would roar with laughter. I mean, absolutely roar with laughter. And, and certainly the experience we had of working with you was, was lovely and fantastic and loads of learning for us too. Um, but I'm, I'm always keen that our listeners uh, have a story or just something that makes them smile. Um, is there a story or something from those days that you can share that is something that you smile about? I mean, it, 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 I struggle to think of specific stories, but I just think there was so much joy and laughter at that school and it just permeated there was laughter when you walked into classrooms um, and there was joy, like palpable joy when you walked into classrooms. I mean, don't get me wrong, there was, we had some challenging times there as well. So it, it wasn't always like that, but it was a real feature of the school. And, you know, just sitting in the staff room and we would, we had this amazing outdoor staff room at, on a good day, you could see the mountains and, you know, staff would come together and we would be having a laugh about all sorts of different, you know, stuff there, whatever it may be. and. You know, and then the leadership team, we would have a we would have a laugh as well. And it was very much like from a place of and it was good modeling for not taking yourself too seriously and for not taking the whole leadership thing too seriously and to have a bit of humility. I can't think of any particular stories as such, but I do remember it was a place of laughter. Sometimes there were challenges and that humor helped us to overcome some of those or to, you know, to get through them. It also helped us to build relationships and you know and then and now I've you know been studying positive psychology I know that you know it broadens that those joyful and positive emotions like broaden your thinking allow you to problem solve allow you to be more creative in your thinking so I didn't have that knowledge at the time but um I kind of relate it to it now Mm, mm. that's lovely that's lovely thank you so to kind of finish off with one of the things I'm always interested in is it's not so much advice to leaders about, you know, what they should do or how they ought to be doing things. But I'm, I'm very interested in the questions that you think are very helpful for leaders to keep asking. So what for you is a number one question, which as leaders, we regularly ask, help us kind of keep our practice on track? I think several things came to mind. But I think what I would go with is, were you going to get your support? Because I think it's complex. And, you know, there's research coming out that's, you know, we all sense it's getting more complex. And then there is research now to back up that school leadership is becoming more complex. And I think it's important to know who your support network is or who you're going to collaborate with. And I think it's important to know that before maybe things get difficult. You know, that idea of you don't put your safety net out as you're falling. You want it. You want it in place there, ready to go. And it might be different people for different things. It might be, you know, a collaboration with different people. But I think knowing and figuring out who a supportive network is of people around you, I would say that that's a good question to be asking yourself and to keep coming back to just to make sure it, you know, it's the right people for the right things. Mm. And that's that's a really helpful question. I know one of the things I talk with leaders sometimes about is is kind of recovering from adversity and overcoming setbacks and loss. Yeah. And I think there's a really important question about who do you have in your support network if the worst happens? That That's about thinking, who can I trust? Mm. You know, which might be that something's gone wrong or it might be actually I did something really wrong and I regret it, but I'm going to have to find my way through this. Yeah. 
So who can you really trust? And if you don't have that person in your support network now or those people, then there's a bit of work to be done, isn't there? Because that support network needs to be built. And I think there's so much value in in them being, you know, there in the first place. Because, you know, I did have a situation where there was some difficulties within my first headship, some challenging situations that, you know, well, there was COVID as well, but before um, that I didn't necessarily anticipate. But because I had someone there supporting me, then that support for that situation to help me work through that, to help me find a path through that and to, you know, we came out the other side stronger. Going back to sometimes those harsh lessons and those, you know, sometimes difficult events, there's there's growth through them. But being able to tap into the to the support network and be supported in that process at the time, if I hadn't have had that in place and I've had to have searched for the right person for that first, it, it would have been, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure the outcome would have been the same. Um, so, yeah, I think it's invaluable. Mm. And there's something lovely there about prioritising the time to find those people or find that person and prioritising your you know, what you need for your development and actually prioritising some budget for it as well. Yeah. So, you know, making sure that's there for you as part of your professional development and support. Uh, Jenny, it's always lovely to talk with you and it's been brilliant to talk with you today. I've enjoyed this enormously. Thank you so much for joining us on Let's Talk Leadership. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Leadership. For more, head over to HelenMGConsulting.com and find out about leadership programs and leadership coaching, helping you and your team be the best version of yourselves.